Crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels. A casual conversation. Hello world, this is Video Game Crosstalk, the bi-weekly podcast of gamers talking about tech, science, and whatever else comes to mind. I'm your host, Anthony Rossi, and with me this week, Matt Valley. Matt, what's going on, buddy? Uh, not so much, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. Uh, just started a new job this week, so that is like insanely exciting. Oh yeah, learning everything new. That's great. Yeah, um, it's a... Uh, it's kind of rough being between jobs and uh, picking up temp work here and there, but I finally started a new job this week as a technical writer um, for this new company. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot talk about this <laughs> job like at all uh, <laughs> um, on this podcast, but uh, it's a new experience for me. Um, if you guys listened to the previous episode, I mentioned I was a mechanical drafter and did a lot of CAD drafting uh, over the years, and... I'm taking a bit of a departure from all that and going to get into a new new career, uh, new opportunities, new line, new everything. So it's still all bright and shiny to me. We'll see how long it lasts, but you know, I got good feelings about it. That's great. Got good feelings. Congrats. About it. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so Matt, uh, what type of work are you into? Uh, I am a programmer for a marketing company. All right, so with marketing, what exactly does a programmer do in that type of situation? Um, so what my company does is we work with a lot of retailers to kind of help drive their, you know, their sales by email. So we do a lot of things along the lines of, you know, say you go to a website and you, you know, you look at something, you look at a couple different products, maybe you put one or two products in your cart and then you say, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to buy that right now. And you kind of, you leave, you kind of leave your session. Okay. So, you know, you get an email the next day saying, hey, thanks for browsing our site. If you want to come back for, you know, 10% off, here's an offer to entice you to come back and actually finish that purchase that you kind of started down the path of. Ooh, well, that's kind of tasty. So we work with, um, we do a lot of those types of emails, um, lots of other kind of, you know, order confirmation emails, shipping confirmation emails, all those kinds of things. All right. So you guys are, are you like supplementary? Is because it sounds like something that the actual retailer would do. So, do you guys work with like the smaller companies uh, to act as their IT support in this aspect? Um, yes and no. I mean, um, it's kind of it kind of depends on the company. Some companies, like you said, they do kind of do a lot of their own stuff in house, or they'll work with you know other providers to kind of supplement what they do. Okay. Um, uh, there's a, also a good amount of our clients that really just say, you know, here's our data. You guys figure it all out for us. Thank you. Oh, jeez. So it's kind of there's kind of both ends of it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, there's kind of a lot of it's a lot of both sides. All right. So we got a coder with us again. Uh, we got another computer guy with us this week. Yeah. Uh, hey, that works. I mean, this uh, obviously in gaming, um, there's going to be a lot of the computer science type guy. So that's cool. Uh, from a computer science or a programming standpoint, are there? Do you notice things? that uh, you think, like, other gamers probably wouldn't notice from, like, a coding perspective? Like, you uh, sit and play a game and just kind of get mystified as, like, how they would handle certain situations? Or do you think about the interactions, either, like, on a multiplayer level? Do you feel differently than other people? Um, I'm not sure if I... 
I notice things differently, but I, I feel like I can at least, like, I don't know if understands the right word, but I can kind of get where, you know, a developer is coming from when they say that, oh, you know, this is this is kind of hard for us to do, or this may be kind of easy, where, you know, you see a lot of a lot of people like to just, you know, obviously on different gaming forums, like to just complain and complain, oh, why isn't this implemented, or why is this this way, or this should be like this, or just add this. But I can, yeah, you know, yeah, the can... whole just add this. I, <laughs> I have very limited experience in programming. I've done a little bit here and there. Um, I'm working on a two-year degree in, um, in uh, IT right now, just to kind of supplement my educational background. Um, and what what little bit I've done in IT and some other programming that I did previous degrees, as far as like CAD CAM or just other computer networking mm. and programming stuff back in the past. The idea of just slap this bit of code in is <laughs> like you you have no idea how unstable code can become <laughs> if you just start slapping things in. Yeah, so I feel like I can, you know, if someone, you know, if something doesn't quite work right and they say, you know, hey, we're working on it, I can kind of, I kind of get where they're coming from. So you feel their pain a little bit more than oh. what... A little bit, yeah. I mean, most of most of what I deal with is a lot of you know, like data and text, and you know, nothing as far as you know, like a three D visual representation of like that you would see in a game. But I can definitely, you know, I can understand the the hardships and the difficulties of trying to make you know a piece of code work the way you think it should. All right. Well, one of the things in gaming that like mystifies me is um, the Destiny app or any of the apps that work with uh, the Destiny. Mm-hmm. game um, where I can just swap out inventory and gear and items like that between my characters um, on the fly basically so for instance like if I'm going to go into a raid uh, I'm going to bring my titan in but my warlock has my touch of malice I can open up the app you know click a few or tap a few buttons and icons on my phone and on my TV screen you'll get the boof, uh, Touch of Malice has been acquired. Mm-hmm. Like that, that type of programming. Like I can't even imagine how many different servers or data tables you need to link, or how you would link all that stuff to be able to do it on the fly, um, especially in real time without having to like reset anything or like turn off the like with um, regular software. If you install an update or you. Uh, reestablish something it's like you need to turn the program off or hit a refresh button and it'll reload that data set or something and then the change will take place mm-hmm. but with this destiny app it just like amazes me and uh, other apps like it where you can just make these changes on the fly i the beauty is in the mystery for me <laughs> you know what i mean oh i do it's it, it's very cool you just flick this over here and boop hey hey there's my new gear great thanks oh yes all right <laughs> So anything else going on with you? Uh, just uh, I don't know, just hanging in there, playing lots of different games. Been big into uh, big into Overwatch lately. It's been my new uh, my new my new love. All right, you know what? I was going to do some of the science stuff first, but uh, let's swing into the gaming. Um, all right, so Overwatch. Uh, tell me about that. What have you been working on? So Overwatch is Blizzard's new uh, their their big new their first new IP in I don't know fifteen years or so. So you know, Blizzard famous for Diablo, Has it been Starcraft. 15? Yeah, has it been 15 years since I, they had an IP? I, I think they're, before Overwatch, I think their most recent and brand new, you know, completely new IP was, I think, Diablo. Might have been StarCraft or Diablo. Either one, it was back in, you know, the late 90s, so it's been Jeez. it's been a while. Yeah, wow. And they've, I mean, it's not like Blizzard is viewed as, like, a failing company or, like, a floundering company or, or anything like oh, that. Far from that. Far, yeah, far from that. Um, I used to play... 
Diablo and Diablo 2, like a beast. Oh, um, Diablo is my jam. Yeah, well, my, one of my old apartments, a little buddy of mine, set up my own server just to do some multiplayer, just mm-hmm. within our own uh, apartment so we wouldn't have to like jump onto Battle.net. We'd just like, play with each other with a direct link. Mm-hmm. And that was back in 04? <laughs> Oh four, oh five, somewhere around there, and uh, yeah, they just been working that. And um, if you listen to the previous co- uh, podcast episode, I mentioned that uh, John and I we played the original Warcraft. And how long has World of Warcraft been going? That's I think that just passed ten years. God, and it's not even like it's considered a retro game. We're like, oh, we're gonna do this throwback game. It's like, no, it's completely new. It's completely fresh. It's completely relevant. Yeah, they're, they're releasing a new expansion for that in a couple weeks. Yeah, okay, there you go. We're <laughs> releasing more expansions. Um, yeah, personally, me, I'm not too big on the MMO side. Um, I prefer like the single player campaigns. That's just the way I've been gaming since I could hold a controller. But um, yeah, to, for them to con- keep issuing these updates and new expansions. So what's this expansion going to be? Uh, I think this one, it's called Legion, and I think it's kind of, it's bringing back um, Illidan, which is one of the big uh, one of the big villains from one of the previous ones, as, as far as I know. I haven't played World of Warcraft in years, but... Okay. Um, yeah, I believe it's kind of bringing him back. I think it's adding, you know, the kind of, all the types of things you usually see with a big expansion like that. You know, new level cap, new gear, new locations, all that stuff. But yeah, to think, you know, a 10-year-old game get a big fully you know fully fledged expansion like that so long after it's it came out is it's, un, it's unheard of these days that's that's huge i mean maybe a patch you know what i right. mean you know just uh oh we found some errant code or uh we someone noticed that this was glitching out on occasion so okay we and i use this term loosely in you know retrospect or in regards to what we just said i just gotta patch it over real quick <laughs> all right <laughs> I understand the gravity that comes with that statement, <laughs> but um, as far as a game that would be like 10 years old, for instance, like if um, oh, Volition or Deep Silver issued a patch for Saints Row 3, you know, right. <laughs> like, uh, thanks, I guess. Um, I-, I can't imagine as far as, you know, how stable that build must be at this point or was however many years ago that the the patch would be any anything major right. or anything like anything that demanding because everything should be theoretically uh patched and stable to go you know beforehand so all right so overwatch why don't you um give me the lowdown on what that's all about sure so overwatch is kind of you know the the moba or the kind of arena shooter is is pretty big these days between your you know league of legends uh your dota you got um, the recently Gearbox released Battleborn, kind of that that mm-hmm. team shooter. Everyone's playing a hero with different abilities is kind of the big the big hot thing right now. Right. So Overwatch is kind of Blizzard's spin on that. Well, that they also have a Heroes of the Storm, which is kind of their their actual MOBA, where Overwatch is more of a I guess team shooter if you want to call it. Well, Overwatch is really closer to Team Fortress Two, really. Okay, yeah, I but, heard. Um, I guess this new genre that's kind of evolving out of that between the Overwatch and the uh, the Battleborn scene, that it's kind of like a hero shooter. Would you agree with that type that's of a, title? That's a great way to put it, yeah, hero shooter. So, okay. So in Overwatch, you've got, um, there's, you know, different classes of, uh, kind of different classifications of these different heroes. So there's attack heroes, which are good for, you know, your high damage dealers. Okay. There's your defense heroes, which are good for, you know, holding down an area, defending a spot. Uh, you've got your tanks, which are, you know, big beefy guys that take all the damage. And then you've got support, which do things from, you know, 
healing or putting up shields, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So in Overwatch, it's uh, games are six on six, um, and the the nice part for me especially is that every game type is there is no uh, team deathmatch game type. So there's no just straight. Let me get all these kills. My ki- my kill death ratio is the most important thing. That's out oh, the window. Which oh, <laughs> yeah. you're, uh, you agree with me on that front? Yeah, yes, I, I agree with you on that. Again, um, I was able to play the beta for Overwatch, mm-hmm. so I got I got a little taste, got a little little, little something okay. of it. Um, but I've been mostly playing Destiny until um, some other future games start coming out. And you get these different challenges or these different, uh, say the uh, the Iron Banner or mm-hmm. stuff like that, where your KD is not important or it's not what helps you win the game. You know, like the control maps, for mm-hmm. instance, where you have to, you know, lock down the, the three control points and every kill thereafter gets you, you know, a multiplier for your kill bonuses. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's controlling the zones. It's not your individual KD that actually matters in this. What? Like, And if you're listening to this podcast and uh, you're not quite familiar with the shooter jargon or lingo, that... The KD is your kill-death ratio. So it's how many times you actually kill someone versus how many times that you get killed. And for me, personally, if I'm above a 1 at any point, oh, yeah. I'm like, woohoo! Oh, that's thumbs up. I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, right? Every once in a while, like, uh, oh, geez, I was working on the, my Moments of Triumph uh, okay. a couple of weeks ago. And it was during Iron Banner. It, again, this is in Destiny, so... It was Iron Banner and Trials of Osiris at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, to complete my Moments of Triumph, I had to go in and do the Mountaintop quest, which is all Crucible, all the PvP type things. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is great. I'm going to go into PvP. All the people who actually care about PvP are either doing uh, Iron Banner or Trials of Osiris. That means I got the rest of the schleps <laughs> that are down there with me. <laughs> I was able to like bang it out in a couple of days. It was fantastic. Great. I'm getting these KDs of like 2.5 at the end of a match. <laughs> I'm like, uh, should I take a screen capture of this? Or no, nah, it's totally not representative of my actual <laughs> skill level. So I'll just be happy with it and move on to the next part of the quest line. All right. So you've been playing a lot of Overwatch. Recently. Yes. Um, so how much has it expanded since the, the beta? Uh, so the beta was, I think that was what early early May. The game came out late May. So since then, they've added um, they've added a competitive mode. So there's you know okay. a full you know one to a hundred. You kind of you play a couple games. I think you play ten games. It drops you into your your one to a hundred kind of bucket, and then every win and loss will you know increase or decrease your ranking. Uh, they've added one new hero since uh, since the release, uh, Anna, which is a as far as a um, Kind of a character or a hero goes in uh, in gaming. It's, it's pretty unique. She is a sniper, but a support character, so she can uh, heal her allies from afar oh, via nice. bullets. <laughs> yeah, because when I was playing the beta, I played—I I know me and like eight hundred other people, eight hundred million other people. Uh, I was playing Black Widow quite often. Uh, mm-hmm. She was pretty easy to use, and I like the idea of the um, the multi-use gun where you could. You know, do the mid range and the long range, mm-hmm. but like my personal style is has been mostly support. So like in the Borderlands series, I would always be Axton or like Axton would be my main, mm-hmm. Axton or Roland in uh, Borderlands the first one, mm-hmm. and like I don't want to be up front and center, but I'm just 
and I'm, this is going to be surprising saying that I played Black Widow. I'm not that great with sniper rifles. So, like, my preferred, my comfort zone is, like, mid-range off to the side. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll I'll kind of pick off the small guys, you know, in the middle of the arena type thing and let the tanks roll through. I'm not too concerned about my own stats. You know, it's, like, for me personally, the achieving the end goal is, like, the ultimate goal for me. I'm not too worried about the, the fame and the glory. So I have no problem just kind of sitting back a little bit and uh, picking up the small guys so that the, the big tanks can roll through. Mm-hmm. So... So what have you been playing mostly in Overwatch? What's your preferred character style? Uh, in Overwatch, I play a lot of I play a lot of tank and support actually. So I'm, I'm, right. I'm kind of like between you. the two. Yeah, yeah. So I like being support. I've always liked being kind of the healer in games, so I'll play a lot of that. Um, but I also like being you know the big you know I'll, I'll get up front. I'll, I'll take the damage and I'll I'll be the decoy and let everyone else kind of do the dirty work. Yeah, just just as long as everyone else does do the dirty work type of thing like you i can't just go in and uh, soak up all the damage you guys gotta you, you gotta help the tank yeah you know if, if i'm up there taking taking the brunt of it i need to be helped out i can't, I, can't do everything. <laughs> I, I know i'm taking all the damage but i can't take all the damage <laughs> awesome so you've been enjoying it oh yeah love it yeah yeah you and a whole bunch of other people yep me and me and the rest of the world <laughs> successful so far sorry what was that i said it's been very successful so far oh yeah all right, so moving on. Um, you mentioned as we were talking before the show that you actually watched the Street Fighter Five final. I did, yeah. So Dude, uh, now tell me about this. So uh, for me personally, I, I like fighting games. I enjoy playing them. I uh, I suck at them, <laughs> but, I, but I like them. But you enjoy them. I do. So I can okay. I can kind of uh, I feel like I can appreciate the the challenges of trying to you know get all these moves down you know, pitch perfect, frame by frame, exactly how far can my guy reach, how much mm-hmm. damage is going to do, which way do we need to block, all that kind of stuff. So, um, kind of a, I'll do a little, a little quick story, a little detour. So my, my buddy, uh, yeah, go for it. my friend uh, Ryan was actually out in Vegas for uh, the tournament with uh, one of the players. Uh, his name is Long Island Joe, or L.I. Joe. All right. So uh, he's out there with his buddy, with his friend Joe, kind of, you know, rooting him on, supporting him. And... Uh, Long Island Joe ends up getting into the top eight, you know, kind of the quarterfinals for this tournament. Oh, nice! So, uh, on it was it was a Sunday night on ESPN two. They actually had a broadcast of the tournament from Vegas on ESPN two, which is crazy to me to think. You know, video games on ESPN. What is the world coming to? Yeah, um, right. So aside from the awesomeness, that's what it's coming to. It's right. So <laughs> of course there was the, the Twitch streams that you know most people are used to watching for um, big competitive games, but it was also cast on ESPN two. Which I think that was I think that was a great decision on their part because you know my friend Ryan says you know hey I'm here watching this so, you know if you guys want to watch you guys is in you know a group of our friends here do you guys want to watch you know here's a link so we end up watching on ESPN two and throughout the three or so hours there was probably ten or fifteen of us just you know glued to this television watching rooting on Long Island Joe trying to figure out you know how's this game work just. We became instant lovers of him, instant haters of everyone else. You know, you know. <laughs> I don't even know the story behind it. I've never watched any of these other guys, but screw them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was shown on ESPN two. Yes. So that's wild. As I'm listening to this, um, I just jotted a note down. Most people, if you're going to be watching some type of video game televised content, and I'm throwing up the air quotes when I say televised, because in previous it's not necessarily over a television but it was streamed online through twitch or some other 
uh, video streaming service. Mm. One thing that bothers me about Twitch, if I'm going to watch a big event, for instance, one of the Destiny uh, reveal streams, mm-hmm. something like that, one of the glorious things about Twitch is the the viewer's ability to interact with whoever is broadcasting or whoever is moderating the chat. But when you get these massive broadcasts, like there's the chat is rendered useless, in my opinion. Oh, it's just streaming by at a million miles an hour. <laughs> it's streaming by a million miles an hour. It's just glitching all over the place. Like it's not even a continuous flow. It's just whenever the system. Uh, refreshes to add these new user comments. It's just like chunk, 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 <laughs> chunk. And 98% of it is just gibberish garbage. It is just absolute, like some guys, they're just like spraying the um, the screen with a bunch of whatever emojis, <laughs> or someone's just like typing hype a whole bunch of times, or uh, some other profanity nonsense, or just just anything other than like actual conversation or commentary of what's being shown on the screen. So you'll get that 2% where someone might either make a clever joke or make a uh, kind of insightful comment or ask the broadcaster some type of question. But when you have like 100,000, 200,000, however many uh, viewers on there simultaneously, it, it just, to me, it just doesn't matter. Oh, so... So I guess what what I'm kind of asking is your opinion on, has Twitch become too big to handle some of these events? That's a good question. Um, uh, personally, I don't I don't watch a lot of Twitch, although I do, you know, I have, for, for kind of like what you said, I do watch a lot of the Destiny reveal streams on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like you said, you watch some of these big, these big events and the chat is just a, just a river of comments. And it's, you know, it's... Maybe for that, for trying to get the user interaction piece for those large events, it might not be the best forum. Mm-hmm. But you know, as far as delivering delivering the content, I feel like that's it's without a doubt the biggest you know the big the big dog as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point in time, I'm not even going to bother trying to argue that. <laughs> I mean, if you want to watch some type of um, gaming stream or gaming content, uh, I mean, people have their entire shows uh, set up on Twitch. Like, they have their own channel for uh, video game talk shows. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, they're not even um, they're not even playing games, it's just got the webcam set up, but they have the the chat open. And actually, uh, one of the podcasts I listen to called The Sundering does this. They have their show live um, every Sunday night. Them and Guard- well, geez, I'm going to keep talking about Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Guardian Radio um, uh, do their shows live on a Twitch stream so they, they can interact with the audience, but um, their audiences are really cool and they don't get overrun with nonsense. So at that capacity level, it absolutely makes sense and it's like an awesome kind of experience, especially mm-hmm. if they're they're talking about something and you're watching them and you throw up a, uh, a question or comment or observation, something like that, and uh, you know they read your name on air. Uh, who doesn't get giddy if you're a fan <laughs> of uh, a podcast or a <laughs> show? Like, they notice me. Yeah, <laughs> they read my question. Um, oh god, it was it was hilarious. One of the guys, um, I've gamed with them a few times over at Mulehorn Gaming, and they have their um, you know send in your listener questions and whatnot. And it was just after E3 or soon after E3, and I'm all sorts of amped up for the next Watch Dogs game. 
not only that, but I heard that they were going to make a Watch Dogs movie to mm-hmm. succeed the Assassin's Creed movie. So me, personally, and I understand that I'm kind of in the minority uh, at this hype level, but I'm just like all sorts of crazy and happy, so I asked their opinion on it. And uh, during their next podcast, it was hilarious at the time because they were they were going to reference the Watch Dogs movie in a very negative light. <laughs> but they're like, oh, but we have a question about that later in the show, so we'll get to it later. So I felt elation and defeat at the same time. Like, ooh, they're going to read my question. And they hate it. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, bringing that kind of stuff onto Twitch, it seems, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to take the stance that it's still a viable um, resource as far as showing these large-scale streams and stuff like that, but just go into that stream knowing that it doesn't matter what you put in the chat. Uh, it will not be read. Uh, there will be no actual interaction between the broadcaster or the broadcast team and whoever um, you know is sending in the chat information because, I mean... Maybe the mods, just to keep a lockdown on any profanity or actual spam or excessive links or something like that, uh, just to keep that under wraps. But as far as actual interaction between the the chat and the broadcaster, it just, I don't see it happening uh, once it hits whatever that certain level would be. What yeah, do you kind think? Of that, that magic level there, yeah. Yeah, whatever that magic level might be. Oh, man. It's too bad. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, so another... Um, chat that we've had you've actually played mighty number nine i have yes so thoughts (laughs) (laughs) so uh for those who don't know mighty number nine is a uh, was a kickstarted game back in 2013 it raised almost four million dollars uh it was billed as a spiritual successor to mega man a very popular video game franchise obviously um the actual the creator of mega man uh kind of left capcom to make this game so right, everyone's okay. super hyped about it like oh man it's the it's the original you know it's the original creator it's going to be his idea his vision it's going to be fantastic um so you know three years go by four million dollars go into it and there are all manner of you know delays and issues and you know the release date was it was going to be last year then it was going to be sometime in december and then it was february it eventually came out in june okay so, so- Fairly recently, only a couple months ago. A couple All months right. ago. So, um, so I, you know, I grabbed my copy. I do play and lasted about you know five, five or so hours to play through the whole thing. You know, it had the oh. it had the uh, the Mega Man vibe where you've got you know your you kind of your your small blue robot with his gun on the you know gun arm. Um, you know, dashing. <laughs> yeah, totally not Mega Man. Totally not Mega Man at <laughs> no, all. Not at all. Absolutely not. Uh, Absolutely not. You know, so you're fighting all these robots trying to essentially save the world, you know, defeat a robot boss, gain its power to use in other levels, you know, things, very Mega Man-esque things for obvious reasons. Um, yes. But it, it did, you know, it did not quite live up to that hype. It didn't quite deliver on some of the the visuals that were shown, um, you know, even as far as years back. There was actually oh, a, a pretty... I don't know about big, but a little, a bit of a controversy with the trailer that came out just before the game dropped, you know, put out by the company, uh, Concept, uh, by the developers. One of the lines in the trailer was something to the effect of, uh, make you cry like a, uh, a high school nerd on prom night. 
to which a lot of the you know, I did hear about this. I did actually hear about this. So a lot of the the fans and people waiting for this game are saying, you know, what the heck? What are you doing? What are you? What is the goal with that? You know, this line. What are you trying to say? I mean, all, all things considered, it was a decent game. It was all right. I ended up, uh, you know, I ended up paying twenty dollars for my copy, pledging it years back. So as far as okay. you know, a cost versus how much did I like it, that was fine. Um, all right. So how did it actually differ uh, from Mega Man? Um, so there were some pretty, a couple significant differences. So uh, for one okay, thing, uh, you actually you could not charge up your uh, your gun. So you know, in a in a Mega Man game, typically you kind of you know shoot your little pea shooter gun. Or mm-hmm. little pea shooter bullets, I guess, or you could hold it down, charge it up, shoot a big blast. Yeah, uh, that came out in the uh, Mega Man X games. Yes. So wow, uh, I just said Mega Man X games. I would pay money to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally pay money to see Mega Man <laughs> doing tricks with uh, his dog companion off a half pipe. All right. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. Puns. Hooray. All right. Go on. So you can't so, charge your. So gun. that's not ability. Right. Um, the but the, the biggest departure was that in Mighty Number no. Nine, you when you shoot an enemy down, you know when you kind of damage it enough, it begins to kind of blink or glow, and you need to kind of dash into the enemy to absorb them, to kind of gain their power, gain some you know maybe gain back a little bit of health, maybe gain you know just points on your score, whatever. So this kind of you know pushing the tempo, going fast, you know uh, damaging enemies as fast as you can, and dashing through them to keep moving very quickly is not what a lot of Mega Man fans are used to with, you know, very careful um, platforming, very expertly timed, you know, movements and jumps, kind of mm-hmm. very kind of clashing styles there. Okay. Huh. So this is, seemed to be more just kind of like like barreling through almost? It, it, it's, it's weird, but yeah. I mean, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the gameplay mechanics kind of reward you for going as fast as you can, which is not what, not what I and I think most of the, you know, Eagerly Most of the fan fans really think. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've actually seen a speed run of one of the Mega Man X uh, games. <laughs> Said it again. <laughs> so um, I've seen a speed run of those, and it's not so much barreling through everything, but it was actually avoidance of all enemies and obstacles. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I'm constantly charging or uh, just blasting guys from a distance and memorizing their movements to hit them in the weak spot as I go through. It was actually, I'm going to memorize each level so I avoid all of the enemies mm-hmm. and um, blaze through it that way. This sounds more like, like they could, yeah, like you said, the complete opposite, where you damage the enemies down and you, I guess you dash into them to regain some of your power, gain some of their power and regain some of yours? Yes. Yep. Okay. It actually sounds kind of interesting. But uh, what is what is this normally? Oh, I got the internet in front of me right now. What is what is it retailing at right now? I want to say uh, about twenty dollars. Ticka ticka ticka. Go to Google. Google shopping. Yeah, twenty dollars across the board. Oh, and of course, a signature limited edition collector sealed is going for seventy four dollars on eBay at the time of this recording. <laughs> of you know, of course it is. Of course. All right, so hey, you know what? For for twenty bucks, it's not too bad, right? That's that's kind of where I where I ended up with it. So hey, twenty dollar game, you know, sat down to play it over the course of a few days. It was fine. Mm-hmm. All right, he's got good replay value. 
Mm, no, no, there's really not. No, <laughs> not so much. You know, your kind of standard fare in today's gaming world. There's you know some challenge modes, some speed run type things, but as far as replaying the actual the campaign itself, no, no, not so much. Ah, that's too bad. So I used to play the Mega Man games and just kind of like, yeah, you go through it once, and then we're going to go through it again and <laughs> go through it again, try to get the uh, the bosses in a different order, see if you know this. I'm not going to date myself. See if the saws work better against the uh, the leaf guy. <laughs> going all the way back to the original Nintendo days on that one. But uh, yeah, that was some of the. That's where a lot of the replay value came in. All right, so we're going to move on to some of the tech news. Um, this one was just published today, actually. I got this article from Scientific American. Looks like it was originally uh, published on Space.com. The government approves robot mission for Moon Express, which wants to mine our satellite. So check this out and let me know what you think. Um, And I'm quoting this directly from the article. The U.S. government has officially approved the planned 2017 robotic lunar landing of California-based Moon Express, which aims to fly commercial missions to the Earth's nearest neighbor and help exploit its resources, company representatives announced today, August 3rd. Dude, we're going to start having approved uh, lunar missions from private companies. That. That's pretty that is wild. Great. <laughs> that is that's that's crazy. Yeah, like we we've been doing some serious space you know, like pushes. I won't really say exploration because we really haven't gone all that far, except you know for Mars and uh, the other long distance satellites that just uh, what was it Juno mm-hmm. that just yeah. went past Jupiter. Yeah, so I mean that's that's definitely I think that's as far as we've gone off offhand, but. Um, but there's been a lot of pushes between the private, you know, space flights type things. That crazy fool that did the stratosphere jump. Um, and what was that like a few days ago? Uh, the guy did a, a free fall into a net from oh, an airplane. Geez, I didn't hear about that, but uh, did you see? Did you see hear about that? Okay, hold on. We need to. Oh boy, free fall jump. That's got a Felix Baumgart. No, not Felix Baumgartner. Oh jeez, Felix Bumgarner. That was the right, so that was the Red Bull guy you talked about, right? A couple of yeah, that was the Red Bull guy into the net. The dude fell into a net. How oh, he skydiver jumped without a parachute on purpose and lived. Let's see here. That's uh, what I'm talking. No, about. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, skydiver Luke Aikens became the first person to jump from a plane without a parachute or wing shoot this past weekend, carrying out a daring stunt on live television. Yes, on live television. This was posted on August 1st. Aikens jumped from a height of 25,000 feet, or 7,600 meters, and after a two-minute free fall, flipped onto his back to land on a 100-foot by 100-foot net, according to news reports. Wow. All right, so we've been pushing human life you know, farther and farther out into you know, the stratosphere and into space. We've got multiple uh, private companies trying to create commercial flights into space and now today it's been approved by the again from the scientific american 
article, Moon Express submitted an application to the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, on April 8th. The document then made its way through the U.S. State Department, the U.S. State, uh, the U.S. Department of Defense, NASA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and the Federal Communications Commission. So they applied in April. It is now August. That took mm-hmm. what, four months. Yes, I'm counting on my fingers just to make sure I don't sound like a complete idiot on those podcasts. But yes, four months. That's actually really quick to go through the FAA, the State Department, the Defense Department, NASA, NOAA, and the FCC. So we got like six federal commissions or federal agencies that this proposal just went through. So that's pretty awesome. That is commercial flights to the moon. That is... It's just odd to say. Yeah, I know. So we're going to start having it next year, yeah, next year, good Lord, commercial and private flights to the moon. So this isn't, this is no longer like the moon race who can be the first up there. It's no longer, well, I mean, yes, it's pushing the limits of our known technology, but now it's getting to the point where we're not so much pushing the limits of our technology. We're working on making the technology more affordable and more financially feasible. Like that's a yeah, huge, that is a huge difference. difference. That's, that's bringing it from right you know fantasy land to, to reality. Yeah, because there's all sorts of um, experiments and missions that um, you know, the scientists or researchers they'll put themselves through. Like I remember an article maybe back in 2008 where they developed a car that could get 300 miles to the gallon, but the 300 miles to the gallon had a little asterisk next to it because it was huh. theoretical. And by that, I mean the car that they developed couldn't even hold a full gallon of gasoline in its <laughs> tiny tank. It was basically, well, you know, I know it's, it's kind of funny, but what some of these missions do is they try to push the limits, the absolute material physical limits of what technology exists today and what they can do just to see how far they can possibly go. So they were able to create a one-person car, essentially, that could get this insane uh, fuel efficiency. Is it feasible for mass production? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it, it, is it ready for any type of commercial sale? No, absolutely not. It was a one-off deal. But they'll do these research projects in efforts to just see what we can do. Like, how far can we do it? All right, we got here. Take a step back. How can we um, adjust this to make it a little more realistic? So as far as the moon missions are concerned, we've actually passed that point. Like, we can go there. We did it. We did it with very old technology uh, in comparison to the, today's tech. With today's tech, we are now doing routine missions. Um, and I believe this Moon Express will not be manned. So it's going to be a rover that we're going to, quote-unquote, toss on up there uh, to, I guess, mine or yeah, take advantage of whatever resources that they can grab off. So we're basically going to be uh, harvesting moon rocks. That, <laughs> what what they're going to use it for? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> At this them. point, but uh, yeah, go. Yeah, if you, how are they going to get it back? Now that I'm reading a little bit more of the article, and I'm thinking to myself, like the Mars rover that that's a one way ticket, and uh, any of the astronauts or the the people who want to like, yeah, we'll start colonizing Mars. That's a one way ticket. So my question is, I guess yeah, going to get is this it gonna thing be, back? You know, is it going to be as simple as you know? 
fill up a bag, put it back on, and, you know, everyone aboard ship and let's go? Or is it going to be a, maybe they send up little, you know, drones or dropships that they kind of fill up, you know, point back at Earth and <laughs> on its way just that little capsule goes? I don't know. That would be kind of cool, though. Send up a you know a rover with each one that you launch up there, just to get like a team of rovers up there, and then have the uh, the return trip, you know, rather than the payload being the rover, the return payload is whatever rocks that they harvest. And then once you get a handful of those little little buggers working as a team, you can start sending the the rocket or whatever the capsule with an empty payload over to the moon, and then send it back. So that'd be kind of cool. Well. <laughs> There we go. Solve that nice problem. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we got this all taken care of, guys. We got it all taken care of. We all set. We all set. <laughs> all right. Oh, man. Speaking of drones, um, so the drone technology is constantly evolving. Some of it's actually open source. If you knew about this, there's actually some open source uh, communities uh, as far as drone designs are concerned, as far as like the software and like the, the schematics to build these things. Uh, I got an article from The Verge uh, with the title, Drones Will Begin Delivering Blood and Medicine in the U.S. After launching in Rwanda, Zipline brings its fleet of medical drones to three U.S. states. So this is pretty awesome, too. Everyone pretty much knows drones or quadcopters or no actually the picture of this one this is one of those little mini mini gliders it looks like all right so not the quadcopters the mini gliders for like taking pictures uh, and stuff like that but it looks like uh, zipline this company from California they're actually gonna start using these these drones to actually send out medical supplies and whatnot uh, to remote areas I, I think that makes all the sense what in the world that? I think that's that's excellent. <laughs> Yeah, I, they got their start, like I said, in Rwanda. Uh, so all sorts of you know remote locations. You know, th- there are some parts in the U.S. like you and I. We both live in the capital region of New York. Uh, there's really not, yeah, there's a rural area. There's plenty of farms in the central and western New York, and there's plenty of rural country up in the North Country. But um, I mean, you go into the Midwest, and there's just mm-hmm. nothing for miles and miles like in every direction and that and then some of the uh the state parks additionally like again for us in upstate new york uh we've got the adirondacks which is just massive um but there's there's no quick way to get to anything and if there's a natural disaster or something if you have that one mountain road which you know gets washed out or um you know tree falls you know that who knows how big some of these trees can be when you get um into the more remote areas or to the more wooded areas, uh, you're just not getting to these people if they need help. So, uh, finding a way to work these drones and get them, you know, suited up properly. I'm watching this little gift that they have on there. Actually, drop these medical supplies. Actually, as I'm watching this, uh, something else that just came to mind: they're flying at a fairly lower altitude than your mm-hmm. normal like supply plane per se. So. Like the the parachute that they have on this box, it's not all that big, but it's not dropping <laughs> from ten thousand, twenty thousand feet. So I guess they don't exactly need a massive parachute. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, they got a uh, can fly for up to seventy five miles on a single charge. So maybe twenty five, thirty something miles, so uh, you don't run out of charge on the return trip. Yeah, thirty miles out, thirty miles back. 
you can uh, you can drop some stuff. Oh yeah, some pretty think, remote you, know, you mentioned locations. the Adirondacks. Say you know you're out you're out hiking or something for whatever reason you get you know stuck either out in a trail or up maybe on top of a mountain or something. You know, you can, instead of having to get somebody to you know mm-hmm. climb up this mountain to deliver these supplies, you can just kind of fly over the top, drop it right down. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, have you heard anything of? Amazon, because I heard for a while, a while back, that they were going to start doing delivery drones uh, for Amazon orders. Have you heard anything since the initial like announcement uh, no, or concept? It is pretty cool, though. I mean, I'm, I'm curious how it's all gonna, what kind of some of the protections are going to be with it, though. You know, I mean, say someone, you know, someone drops something in my, you know, at my front door or at my backyard or something. What's the? Well, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm kind of flip-flopping, you know, say, what's to stop somebody from, you know, just taking the package if it's left outside your front door? Well, what's to stop that from happening today? So I guess it's really no different. But, uh... Well, yeah, so right. we get plenty of stuff from, you know, online retailers, and they just, you know, the the delivery guys just kind of walk up to the door, uh, drop the package off. Sometimes they'll ring the doorbell. <laughs> Sometimes they just kind of, okay, we're good, and uh, <laughs> t- t- take off after that. But um, there's got to be a lot of logistical and uh, assurances that they need to iron out if if any company was going to consider autonomous delivery. But uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome that they've um, that they've worked out a system for medical delivery for these. Because I mean, anytime we can uh, get aid out to anyone, get aid out to where it absolutely needs to be as efficiently as possible, it's always a win. A win in my book. I'm reading from, uh, and I'll add these articles I'm referencing into the show notes. Companies like Matternet and uh, Flirty have developed similar drone delivery systems. Last year, Flirty completed the first FAA-approved drone delivery after flying drugs to a medical center in rural Virginia. Hey, there you go. So uh, they're expanding on an established uh, method. Awesome. All right, so I got one last uh, science and tech article I want to talk about. Uh, we got the Olympics starting up, and by the time this podcast comes out, the Olympics will be well underway. Uh, we're recording this on August third, or yeah, August third, and um, this is an article about some people training for the what they're going to call the Cyber Olympics, and um, it's dealing with prosthetics. So, prosthetics have come a long way in the past like five, ten years or so. There's been a lot of research and I keep up on it every once in a while just because I think it's awesome and amazing. Um, what doctors and researchers have been able to do is they've been tracking and I'm going to greatly oversimplify this so it fits within my tiny little brain. Um, they've been mapping out the neural pathways in human limbs. So like through their arms and through their legs and they've been tracking these neural pathways and connecting with whatever sensors or patches, basically nodes to these neural pathways over the skin and connecting those nodes into prosthetics so that when you when you think of the motion of opening and closing your hand, your brain automatically sends those electrical pulses out through your arm. So with those mapped uh, pathways, they've translated that into a mechanical rotor or mechanical joint so that these so that these uh, prosthetic hands and whatnot, they can actually open and close just like a regular hand because they're actually accessing these neural pathways that the brain is activating. So what this article is talking about is um, the struggles of uh, 
trying to get into some type of performance prosthetics. And um, let's see here. It's one sentence. A race for prosthetic arm users will be won by the first cyborg. Yeah, a uh, race for prosthetic arm users will be won by the first cyborg to complete tasks, including preparing a meal <laughs> and hanging clothes on a line. I mean, it it seems pretty basic at that point, but the fact that you can actually do that with a prosthetic to have that level of um, fine motor skills through a prosthetic it's is absolutely magic. amazing. Yeah, it really is. Like we are, we are getting into magic at this point. So, um, what are your thoughts as far as you know? The Olympics are coming, and we have this technology that will allow for people with prosthetics. It's not just the Special Olympics at this point. You know, it's not just like a uh, this curved piece of metal that. Um, and again, I'm grossly oversimplifying this. My intent is not to be disrespectful. It's to show the the, the difference between the uh, current day prosthetics with, that are static and uh, a almost a singular piece, almost in comparison to something that will actually respond to neural pathway impulses. What what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to have to create a new form of you know, competitive sport for people who either opt to or for people who, you know, unfortunately have a need for these prosthetics. Like, what are, what are your thoughts as far as this level of, you know, technical yeah, design you know, and competitive does it fall sport? Into, like you said, grossly oversimplifying, does it fall into, like, a performance-enhancing type thing where it's, you know, you're getting a distinct advantage over a, quote-unquote, regular athlete? I guess it's up for the the various leagues and associations to decide, but I think that's kind of the, I guess that's the big question, right? Right. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see because okay. I, it's going to happen. It's it's absolutely going to happen. I don't know if you follow uh, Deus Ex on either Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, but they actually post a lot of this stuff. Uh, a lot as far as well, they call it human augmentation, but. Um, developments in prosthetics and um, stuff like that it's actually one of the best sources if you if you're interested in this type of research seriously following deus ex the video game series on either facebook or twitter <laughs> is like one of your best possible feeds uh for for what's going on in that world and i remember in deus ex uh human revolution the previous game there was one of the missions where you hack into someone's email. I know you hack into everyone's email. One of the emails that you hack into, it talks about the smuggling of these prosthetic limbs and how they're being made to made to order, basically. And the comment was, what the hell did you guys do? Mug an Olympic athlete? Because they were talking about the quality and the, the level of design of uh, one of the prosthetic legs that they were able to get a hold of. And so, I mean, this... I, I can see that. I can legitimately see that happening between any of the other race worlds. Um, obviously not stock car, but um, anything where you have some type of competition of, of that involves machinery, like how much horsepower can you get out of this car or motorcycle, you know, stuff like that. Well, it's going to be how much, you know, how much you know, horsepower actually, um, or responsiveness or fine tuning can you get out of these different prosthetic limbs and what sports will they be um, most impactful to so it's going to be it's going to be wild stuff uh, any, any no, additional thoughts know, on I, that i'll be honest i hadn't really thought about it until you brought it up and now i am very interested in the thought of it <laughs> all right yeah, yeah man well, yeah. uh take a look over at deus ex uh their 
Twitter and Facebook feeds. And like I said, I'll add this. Um, it's another Scientific American article. Um, yeah, I'll post that into the into the show notes so you can t- take a look. I mean, there's there's all sorts of like things that basically um, were previously reserved strictly for science fiction. But you know, if you stay up on some of this news, these things have been going on for years. Like a few years back, maybe four or five years back, I remember reading an article where it was the first girl who actually fed herself a Snickers bar using a prosthetic arm, like an entire arm. And she was able to like reach down, grasp the candy bar, and actually bring it up to her mouth uh, using an entire prosthetic <laughs> arm. So like we're halfway there. Like at this point, it's no longer is it possible. We are now refining the technology and uh, getting all the sensors and the motors calibrated properly uh, to the human body. Wild stuff, man. Wild stuff. All right, Matt. Uh, come to that part of the show and we're going to do the final five these are five questions to wrap up this podcast that range from irrelevant to irreverent are you ready i am ready excellent because you didn't have a choice all right first question coffee or tea coffee coffee you drink a black light and sweet like yourself uh, oh thanks i <laughs> uh, usually just go with sugar just sugar all right question number two what level are you in pokemon go uh, I just reached level 20 today, as a matter of fact. Jeez, I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I just, between the new job and uh, homework and a bunch of other stuff, I just haven't had time to to play. Like, I really need to make the effort to do it. I'm still stuck at, like, level 8 or 9. It's sad, I don't even know what level I am. <laughs> I'm such a terrible gamer. Oh, God. All right. So, uh, question number three. Uh, do you do any tabletop gaming? Uh, I do actually. The last the last few years, I've gotten uh, pretty big into tabletop gaming. I'll play. You know, used to play with uh, some of my friends. I'll play some two player games with my wife. I'll play some you know games with people at work. It's it's really a great hobby. Uh, what two player games do you play with your wife? And I may or may not be taking notes right now. <laughs> uh, let's see. Our our favorite ones to play would be uh, Jaipur, which is kind of a, a resource management slash risk reward game. Um, and uh, Dominion, which is a you know, very well-known uh, kind of a classic game, but those, right. are, those yeah, are the we've two got ones Dominion. That a lot. Yeah, Dominion's a lot of fun. Can be a lot of fun, and there's a bunch of expansions for that too. Oh, geez, like ten of them or something. So I, I only have the the base game, but we we yeah, do enjoy it here. All right. Yeah, and you have been doing a quite a bit of. Blo- we'll get we'll get to that in the outro, and <laughs> we'll get to. I'll plug your blog a little bit. All right. So, uh, question number three: What is your favorite five k fun run? Favorite 5K fun run? Uh, let's see. I guess I'll do the only one I've ever done, which would be the Troy Turkey Trap. <laughs> what? No, you've done... You, dude, we ran the the Warrior Dash together. Oh, right, right. Uh, Come on, man. I, I rescind my Maybe previous answer. Like Warrior Dash all day long. <laughs> <laughs> obstacle course. I'll include obstacle courses in those. How about that? All right. <laughs> um, have you done any other besides the uh, Warrior Dash? Um, let's see. I don't... I don't think so, although I do want to do that again. I am. I think I'm going to try to do that again this coming year. All right. Good man. Good man. Geeks and sneaks, baby. Geeks <laughs> and sneaks. <laughs> All right. Final question. Number five. Will the Tennessee Titans be any good this year? No. Nope. <laughs> they are destined to suck as long as I live. 
<laughs> yeah, I was just looking up uh, looking up some NFL standings before we got on here. Tennessee Titans AFC three and thirteen. Yep, there's actually a uh, on uh, Deadspin, which is one of the Gawker uh, the Gawker sites. Deadspin has got another sports arm. Uh, okay. One of, the, one of the writers on there does a. He started his uh, his series for this year called "Why Your Team Sucks," and every day <laughs> he does a new team going in a draft order. So the very first one since the Tennessee Titans picked first in the draft this year was the Tennessee Titans, and it is just, you know, why your quarterback sucks, who is your coach, and why, what else about your team is awful. It's it's. I don't know why I like them. It's it's all terrible to have to read. But <laughs> well, and uh, full disclosure, uh, my team is the 49ers. I'm kind of a casual fan, but uh, the the 49ers they did not do much better last <laughs> year. They were five and eleven. So uh, battle for the basement right there yep. between us, <laughs> three and thirteen and five. So yeah, I might have you by uh, two games, but it's still not exactly anything to celebrate at this point. Yeah, nothing to write home about there. No, no, not quite. All right, and that is all the time we have for this episode. Time for end-of-show plugs. You can follow me, Anthony Rossi, on my personal Twitter at HyperSyntax, H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X, or you can follow the podcast directly at VGXTPod, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash VideoGameCrosstalk. The podcast is hosted directly on Podbean and can be found at VideoGameCrosstalk.Podbean.com. As for my guest, Matt, what you got? Uh, so I have a little a little blog I've been running. It is at uh, pixelvalley.com, uh, P-I-X-E-L-V-A-L-L-E-E. I uh, like to do you know, reviews and, as you almost mentioned, uh, some tabletop games. Um, yeah, you've, gotten a, you've done quite a few of those tabletop roundups, as you've been calling them. Yeah, you know, just uh, you know, try to get things to the table as much as I can. All right. And uh, so you call it the Pixel Valley. So to get to the Pixel Valley, do we have to first cross over Candy Mountain? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What was oh, that? never mind. I'm I'm cutting this out of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that joke fell flat. All right. So, so you want to give your plug for your uh, blog one more time? Yep. It is Pixel Valley V A L L E E dot com. All right. Are you on Twitter or are you, uh, just strictly over at the the blog? Uh, just over at the blog. I'm uh, thinking about maybe doing some some Twitch stuff fairly soon. But for now, we're just in just in written form. All right. Awesome. All right. And finally, if you are a gamer or know a gamer that wants to talk some tech and science news, let me know. Do you have some tech news that you'd like to hear discussed? Do you have any other general questions you'd like to answer on the show? Send an email to videogamecrosstalk at gmail.com and give me the deets on what's going down. Please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and share this podcast all over your social media accounts. And we can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And yes, as of this recording, I am official on all three of those uh, websites. So thank you one last time for hanging out with us. Matt, thank you one more time. Thanks for having me on. All right. And until next time, let your geek flag fly. <laughs>